Would you pray with me? Father, please speak to us by your word and help us recognize in it things that are right and things that are true. And so begin by your spirit to challenge where we're living by what is false. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've also got a bit of a bias. I'm a bit wary of the weird cults and the sects that you hear about who are they just seem obsessed with the end of the world, and all of them seem nuts. They're the crazies who you hope don't sit next to you on the seat on the train when they're being loud, and you know, they're the ones who everyone has a bit of a laugh at. And it's a bit hard to take people seriously when they predict a date for the end of the world and they're calling doom and gloom, and that date comes and goes, and nothing happens. That's the thing, isn't it? It's been over 2,000 years now since Jesus said he'd come back. Come back to wrap things up. Over 2,000 years of waiting, and we're still waiting. Don't get me wrong, I don't doubt that Jesus is going to come back again. But I just don't think about it happening today. Or even in my lifetime, if I'm completely honest. The odds seem slim. And so there's a part of me thinking whether it's even practical to go about planning my day or my week living as if Jesus is going to come back immediately when the evidence so far seems to be that he's not. But this passage shows me, I think, that that expectation is a really good thing to have. It's a good and right thing to have, that there's a whole lot more harm and regret that might come with assuming he's not going to come back today than if I lived as if he was going to come back with that real expectation. It changed things, wouldn't it? Maybe for the better. Even if it turns out that Jesus doesn't return today, if if I lived like he could, if I lived like he would, that might actually just do me some good anyway. Imagine if you knew for sure. Today, when the sun goes down, whenever that is, 5.30 or 6 o'clock, imagine if you knew for sure that today, Jesus is coming back and history as we know it is done. And you have the timer ticking. What would you go out of your way to do today? That'd be different. Where would you go? Who would you talk to? What would you talk to them about? What wouldn't you bother getting yourself involved in? What wouldn't you bother being worried about? Living with that kind of expectancy would really help me to focus on what's really important, I think, and to forget the things that are not so. Because I know how easily distracted and irresponsible that I can be. I've been on both sides of this equation, and you know what happens, don't you, when you know, the teacher walks out of the room to talk to the student in the hallway for a bit? What happens in the class? You've been there, teachers? You've seen it on the other end as a student? Or you know what happens at work when the boss is away on holidays and everyone just slips into the easy mode for, until they get back? Jesus says to his disciples, not here, but you know, after he rose from the dead, I'm going to step out for a bit. I'm going to my father and I'll be back. And in the meantime, while he's gone, well, what are we doing? 
What are we supposed to be doing while we wait? Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35, if you have it there with you. Verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. The picture there is of this master of the house who's gone out to a wedding party, to a reception, and his plan to have a pretty big night out, and his servants have no idea what time he's going to get back. Maybe it's a dud party, maybe he'll get back by nine o'clock, maybe the speeches will drag on and he'll be back at midnight. Maybe there's going to be an after party, and who knows, it could be gone all night. But the expectation that the master has is that whenever he chooses to come home, he's not going to call ahead, he's not going to tell them ahead of time, it doesn't matter. No matter what, he doesn't want to come home to find his house dark or be left in the cold, knocking and knocking, and no one's there to, to welcome him. He wants them to be ready. Lamps burning, waiting by the door, slippers out, they're ready. And if he finds them doing that when he gets home, if they're there and ready, this is where it gets a little bit unrealistic, no human master is going to do this, but this master is going to serve them. Verse 37, 37 continues, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, will come in and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. When the Lord returns... He's going to bring in those who are serving and ready for him and have them sit down. And he's going to go into the kitchen to cook up a feast for them and to serve them in this party that stretches into eternity. That's a cool picture of heaven. But unlike when the boss goes on leave and you check his out-of-office email to see when he's coming back, or even unlike in the hide-and-seek game that Eric pointed out, where you know that you know, the number is going to count to. A hundred is pretty long, actually. Usually it's 20 for me, but maybe people count quick. You know that the person who's in is going to count to a certain number, don't you? You can sort of predict more or less when they're going to start looking. And they even say, ready or not, here I come. You don't get the warning. Jesus explicitly says here that he's not telling you when he's coming. Look at verse 39. Understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. And it seems almost purposeful. And what it does is it creates this situation where the kind of person you are and what you're made of and what you really believe can be seen when he doesn't tell you when he's coming. It's like, it's like when a fast food company wants to see how their employees are doing in customer service or in keeping the store clean. And there's no point setting an assessment date and a time and having some official person walk through the door with a fanfare for an inspection, because just about any clown can perform temporarily when they know that someone important is watching them. So what they do instead is they send in inspectors who are dressed like normal people. Uh, without any announcement, they make a normal order on a normal day, 
without any prior warning, and that's how you can tell if someone's on their game or not. Apparently, you can apply to be these people to eat at fast food places and, you know, mark them. You and I won't know. We'll have no idea when the Lord will come. And we, uh, whether He comes to us or we go to Him, there's no guarantee for any of us that we're going we're gonna to get our tomorrow. None of us have that guarantee. Which is not so bad if you're ready. Are you ready? Now, the Peter, um, disciple Peter has a question, and it's a good one. Look at verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Because um, sometimes Jesus did tell parables that were concerning specific groups of people, and knowing who he's talking about helps you figure out what he's saying and whether what he's saying actually applies to you and how. And so Jesus answers him, but not directly. He tells him another related story. And the story seems to be about accountability. Look, verse 42. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's the first part of the story. And it seems to be about servants of Jesus who take up positions of responsibility, who are serving the other servants of Jesus. So we're talking about key ministry leaders. We're talking about youth leaders and children's ministry people and small group leaders and pastors and, and elders. People who look after other people and who exercise some influence or authority over others. Particularly, I think, spiritual influence. It talks about you know, feeding them. You could perhaps extend that out, I suppose, to include those who are parents or who are grandparents or if you're the eldest child or the captain of your team Maybe you're a boss, you're a manager, and you have people that you're responsible for. And there's a real, it seems in this first half of the, the, the story Jesus tells, there's a real positive accountability and promise of reward for those people in those roles and who are doing those things faithfully when Jesus returns. They'll be put in charge of, verse 44, everything that belongs to the Master. Those who have will be given more. And it's a real desirable thing. Those who serve then should serve hard and find joy and hope in that. It's one of those things where I feel like you should be fighting for opportunities to get your hands onto serving because of how good it turns out for those who do it well. It's like the jostling to catch the bouquet when the bride throws it. Over her head, and Big Nath Pratt body blocks both Josh and, and Dave to grab the prize for his wife. Now, those of you who weren't at Jeremy and Jess's wedding, they did the bouquet toss, uh, as usual, but instead of sending in the single ladies, who, as you know, are often very reluctant to get onto the floor, this time they asked all the married men to get onto the floor to try to catch the bouquet to give to their wives. It was, it was awesome. And I tell you, it was game on. You get on there, and people are keen. They've been sitting down, eating their meal, and having a nice chat, but now this was serious. There was a bouquet to catch, and it was incredibly hard getting around both Dave 
and Josh, and then Nate comes out of nowhere and just snatches the thing. There's no getting away from him. I was at another wedding a little while back where they did this. They had the fellas on instead of the, the ladies. But instead of a bouquet of flowers to throow, the bride was tossing this vacuum-packed uh, Wagyu steak. <laughs> and people were busting their gut to get onto it. That's how it should be when we're talking about taking on ministry and positions of service. And why not when the prize for serving is so good? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But on the flip side, verse 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now this is someone who isn't denying that the master is coming back. They know the master is coming back. They just think they've got plenty of time before that happens. So they can afford to get slack because they still have time to fix it up and put things back together to look okay just before the master returns. And so what do they do? They abuse their power and they satisfy themselves at the expense of others. They eat and drink and get drunk and they beat up their fellow servants, men and women, in the process. And to their surprise, the master returns and will cut them to pieces. And what's it say? He'll assign them a place with the unbeliever. And there's a justice there. Accountability and justice for the abuser. And those abused, you know that no unrepentant abuser will get away with it. Even if somehow they've temporarily escaped a scrutiny of whatever royal commission or they've kept their head down or found a loophole to get around and wriggle through. Even though sometimes people seem to be getting away with things, there's no getting away with anything when the master returns. They'll be caught out and found wanting. And so it seems if you add the contribution of this passage and passages like this to what else the Bible says about the end when Jesus comes back, you end up with a picture where there's two judgments. The first judgment is the are you with Jesus or not judgment. Are you with Jesus or are you not with Jesus? And that's a real and serious line in the sand. Then it seems your works are also going to be judged. Where everything is out in the open. And that those with Jesus are rewarded in varying degrees and those without Jesus are punished in varying degrees, according to the scale of culpability. Look at verse 47. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Knowing more and having more 
and having those opportunities actually raises the bar of expectation higher. And that's fair. So those of you who are here today, especially those of you who are here every week, and those of you who are here every week and have been here for every week for years and years and years, much, much more will be asked of you. Because so much has been entrusted to you. And that, I think, is the answer to Peter's question. Peter asks, is this story for us or for everyone? And I think Jesus' answer is kind of both. Because everyone is going to be accountable. Everyone is going to have to give an account for themselves when, surprise, the boss is back. But the disciples have more at stake than most. Because they, out of all people, have seen so much more than Jesus. Really, everyone's meant to be on their A-game when they wait for the return of Jesus. But the disciples more so. And they need to be on about the work that the Lord has given them to do. And I think that level of accountability keeps you honest. Knowing that you're going to give an account, that nothing's going to get through the cracks, keeps you honest. So that even if, even if Jesus doesn't come back today, while we wait, if we're living like he just might show up. You don't want him to find you up to no good, do you? You also don't want to have him find you still sitting on the fence about whether you're with him or not when he comes. When he comes, he wants you ready. He wants you to be walking humbly with him, keen to serve and still on about the work is given for you to do, not off doing something else on your own. Say you knew this was the very last day that you're going to have before you met the Lord. What would you do differently? And what's to stop you doing some of those significant things anyway, today? Be found ready. Don't give up. Don't give up your secret persevering because that counts every time. What I'm saying to you, I'm saying to me as well, let's stay in this fight. Let's keep running this race because we have no idea. For all we know, the finish line is right in front of us. Amen.